This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I'm Don LaGreca. Monday always means E.J. Raddick from the NHL Network. NHL Now, 4 to 6, Monday through Friday. How are you? How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was good, Don. It was good. A very uh, low-key. And then uh, I had my son... Uh, weekend hockey tournament in uh, Aston, PA, which is kind of near the Delaware, uh, Pennsylvania border, and so we had so you know it didn't go great as a team, but the kids had fun wow. and played played pretty well, and you know just we're uh, getting ready for the next part of our youth season. So uh, being around the rink on the weekend like that with all the different kids you're going to run into and is a lot of fun. So I enjoyed it. Well, losing builds character, right? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You got to win some. You got to lose some. That's the way it is. That's the way it is, and uh, yeah. plenty of places to start. You know, American Thanksgiving is something we always bring up. We've brought it up all those days back doing those NHL live games. I'm not sure how much it applies anymore without tight, especially the Eastern conferences. I I can't believe that all those teams on Thanksgiving that were on the outside looking in can't still make a run when some of them were tied or just a couple of points out of a playoff spot. But I look back to last year. And 13 of the 16 teams that were in the playoffs on American Thanksgiving ended up making the playoffs. New Jersey and Tampa missed, and Tampa had the excuse of Stamkos being hurt. And Dallas also missed. So I guess it still holds up that if you're in the playoffs at American Thanksgiving, your odds of making it are still pretty good. Do you think that that applies this year? Um, first of all, this is why I love you, Donnie, because you roll, you roll the times. You don't get sucked into <laughs> the things that were going on four years ago. You're on top of it. And that's what, that's why I've always loved you is that, you know, listen, these teams are really tight and will a large percentage of the teams that are, that are in the playoffs now, uh, on American Thanksgiving make the playoffs. Sure. Because they're really good. And that's why they're at the top. So they, you know, right away, you're going to have like 50, 60% of those teams, just because they're better. And they've, they've been better in October, November. They're going to continue to be better. I mean, look at what's going on in these divisions. I mean, the Metropolitan Division is, uh, you know, as we speak here, the Pittsburgh Penguins are out of the playoffs, right? Do we right. not think that the Penguins are going to be able to make a push and get into the mix? I think so. I mean, Carolina's played fewer games than anyone in the Metropolitan Division. They're sitting there right now. They're currently uh, four points out of a spot, but they've played two fewer games than the Rangers. So if they win those two games, well, guess what? They're uh, right there battling for a playoff spot. So, And I think you could say the same for a lot of st- the stuff that's going on in the West. I, I think the thing to keep in mind that's, is that because of the way we do the playoffs now, since they have uh, changed the format a couple of years ago, some teams are in a worse situation than others. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers, for example, off to a very bad start this year, particularly with the high expectations this year. Uh, in the West and the Pacific Division, they're in a tougher spot than, let's say, the Florida Panthers or the Montreal Canadiens in the Atlantic, because the Atlantic Division is not very good. And outside of Tampa and Toronto, anybody could still get that third spot, which is a guaranteed playoff spot. So I think you have to look at individual cases to see where – you sit uh, in, in in terms of how you where you were on American Thanksgiving, but the key for me is where are you, and uh, what's your particular situation. So I don't think we could just say, "Hey, teams that are in are going to be in, and teams right. are going to be out are going to be out." Every division has a different set of circumstances, and I think that's what you need to focus on. Now, the Metro is interesting because everyone 
in the division has at least a one-game winning streak, and most of the teams have a multiple-game winning streak, except Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the one team that's struggling. They're in last place now, and now you're starting to see a separation, 10 points between the Devils in first place and Philadelphia in last place. So Philadelphia seems to be the straggler, and I wanted to start with a quick tweet from Chris. He says, during the Flyers' seven-game losing streak, they have been shut out twice, blew leads in the other five, including two goal leads being blown in three of them. Is this bad luck, growing pains with young players, a coaching issue, or something else? So I figured we'd start with that tweet because Philadelphia does look like the one metropolitan team that's not keeping up with the Joneses. Well, here's the problem for Philly in, in these losses. It's, it's, there's a couple of different things. First of all, they are playing some young players on defense now. That These are really high-end young players that they like, that they are transitioning to long-term. I mean, a, a Sanheim, Morin got a chance to play recently due to the suspension and to uh, Gudis and some injuries. So, you know, they are moving in some really young defenders in their group, and young defenders are going to show flashes of brilliance, and they're going to make mistakes that could end up in your net. Uh, They really have been leaning on Brian Elliott a lot as their goaltender. I think Brian Elliott has uh, been good, but not the kind of – he hasn't given them the kind of goaltending they need to win, which is what I – you know, when you look at this, uh, in in four of their last five games, they're in shootout or overtime. So – you need someone that's going to make those big saves. They had a multiple goal lead against the Islanders on Friday, could not hold it. So it's not to put all the blame on Elliott, but the bottom line is that you need your goalie when you're in these situations to make the big save at the big time, and he has been unable to do it. And they're kind of a top-heavy team when you think about the the scoring that comes from Couturier uh, and Voracek and, uh, and Giroux. And they're not getting that uh, a ton of scoring from the group underneath them. So you put all those things together. Uh, this is why they're they're struggling right now. And uh, you know, I don't think Ron Hextall. Ron Hextall brought in Dave Hextall as the head coach. He brought him in from North Dakota. He's uh, this is his third season. Um, you know, I think maybe a different general manager, a different situation, he would be in more trouble. And he could still be in trouble if they continue to lose. You know, all coaches are are subject to review when things aren't going uh, as you hope. But I think that Ron Hextall right. is a pretty patient guy. He has a plan there, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, he is going to continue to move forward with uh, with Dave Hextall. Now that said, they got back to back games in Pittsburgh on Monday night tonight, and then uh, you know at home against the San Jose Sharks on Tuesday night. Uh, so we'll see where it goes from there. But I think all those things together are why the Flyers have had struggles of late. And let's talk a little bit about Pittsburgh, because <clears throat> you mentioned that they are just barely outside the playoffs. They're just a point back of the Rangers. However, the Rangers do have a game in hand. They played 25 games, Pittsburgh. Yeah. The disturbing thing for me, a minus 17 goal differential. I mean, that's pretty big for a playoff team. And yeah. it's one of the biggest bulges, really, in the conference for teams that you think still have a shot to make it. Like a Boston's at minus six, Carolina minus one, Ottawa minus seven, Philadelphia minus five. You know, you drop to like a Montreal minus 23, they might be done. We'll see what happens with Price coming back. But is it concerning to you that even though they're close, EJ, that they really have not been a playoff caliber team this year? Okay, the, that number in itself is not concerning to me because you have to look at it. Uh, they, in three games, three games, they were a minus like 22 or something like that. So that's where Wouldn't that comes right. from. Yeah, they lost to Chicago, I believe it was 10-1. They lost in 7-1, I think, in, in Winnipeg. They lost, I mean, they had a couple of those real bad 
games as second and back-to-backs early in the season. They've kind of straightened that out. Tristan Jarry has come in now, got his first win the other night against the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning in a battle of the backups because Peter Rudai played for Tampa. That was the second of a back-to-back for both teams. But uh, he's kind of solidified that number two spot behind Murray. I think the bigger issue for the Pittsburgh Penguins is, uh, you know, losing Benino and losing Cullen, uh, maybe we didn't give – we didn't – really give that the proper due. I mean, think about it. Uh, you know, of course you have Crosby and you have Malkin, but they really had those two guys were really in good, helpful players for the Penguins, experienced guys. And now, you know, behind that, they've had a, you know, a Greg McKaig. They went out and got Riley Sheehan, who's been okay. But I mean, I think they have another move to make there, I think, to try to get another like third, fourth line center that could come in and fit. And I think that Jimmy Rutherford will try to do that over the next uh, couple of months. So that's, you know, I think that's one thing. They're just not as deep down the middle. And there's because of that, there's more pressure on, on Crosby and, and on Malkin that they haven't had the last couple of years. The other thing is uh, their power play has been dynamic. I think it's second in the league, but their five-on-five five play has just been terrible. And, and at the end of the day, Donnie, we talked about this going way back to when we used to do the, the radio show together, is that, the, the the five on five, you play five on five, 40, 45 minutes of the night. I mean, and if you're not good five on five, or you're not generating offense five on five. Well, you're probably going to struggle. And I think that's where the Pittsburgh Penguins are right now. Their five on five play has to get better. And if they're not scoring in that situation, it's just a lot of pressure on their power play. The other night, for example, against Tampa, they win five to two, three power play goals, one shorthanded goal. They only produce the one five on five goal. So they've got to be better in that circumstance. And I think that's the area of concern for the Penguins. And also they're taking a lot of minor penalties so far this year, which doesn't yeah. help matter. So, you know, that's when I look at Pittsburgh right now. I think Jimmy Rutherford will try to address the back end of his forward group with another center, uh, depending upon who, when teams start to fall out of it. I don't know if there's a good. You, know, you look around the league, I think like a Cody Eakin out of Vegas would be a great fit for their team. But unfortunately, Vegas is in first place, and they're probably not trading yeah. away Cody Eakin right now. No, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I think for, you know, that'll be, a, I think, the thing for, for Jimmy. And I think for the Pittsburgh Penguins, the key is obviously getting one of the eight spots and then uh, trying to be as healthy as they can be. I don't think they have to over-impress us in the regular season. They've won back-to-back cups. The key will be trying to find a way to get consistent, get better as the year goes on, add a player or true, and just be healthy to try to make another run at it. But, uh, you know, it's going to be tough. We haven't had a three-time winner in this league since uh, the Islanders did it in the 80s. So uh, there's a lot of challenges in Pittsburgh just based on uh, the odds of doing this again. Yeah. It just it's it's tough and uh, teams that are starting to kind of get back on track. Washington with three straight wins. Ovechkin had the hat trick over the weekend, uh, and the Rangers have won four in a row. Yeah. As a matter of fact, going into the Vancouver game, EJ, we we're talking five on five. The Rangers had a three game winning streak going into Vancouver yesterday afternoon, outscoring their opponents five on five, ten nothing. Now that obviously That's changed. Big. They played awful That's against big. Vancouver. Fortunate to get a win, but that tells you, as you said, if you're going to play that well five on five, you're going to win games. Yeah, because you know what you're going to do. You're going to like that's a great number too to have to outscore a team by that much of a margin. Now, you know some of that is you know Scott Darling gave up a pretty bad goal in the game against Carolina. There was some other plays in that game that that helped the Rangers in five on five circumstances. But that's a great number because if you're playing well in those situations, what the other thing that's going to happen is you're going to draw penalties. Now you're going to have power play opportunities as well. So, boy, the Rangers, the turnaround has been dramatic. I can remember being at the Garden. 
probably talking to you that not, that uh, Monday night game against the Vegas Golden Knights in late October when was the AV watch was on and uh, they had a four, they were trailing four two going into third and they were able to to get that thing turned around and win that game and they got on the road a little bit. I know talking to Sam Rosen uh, at the at the Hall of Fame induction a couple of weeks ago, he said one of the things for the Rangers was just getting the team out on the road a little bit. They've played so many home games and. Uh, you know, teams need to get on the road and to kind of bond a little bit. Yeah. Things. That was something that was helpful as well. So uh, they've turned it around, but it just goes to show you, right, that's the kind of start they had. It was that tough to start. Even with this great play they've had over the last five or six weeks, they're still just hanging into a playoff spot right now. It's going to be a long season where every single point is going to matter. Yeah, the Rangers have two more home games this week against Florida and Carolina. That will push their season total to 26 games and only eight of them away from Madison yeah. Square Garden. So they've got a lot of road games uh, coming up for sure. Let's take a look at the West, DJ. They've been a good road team, by the way, too, Dottie, as you know, over the last couple of years. So that'll be interesting to see if that continues. Yeah, and so not so far this year at yeah, just 3-5. and five, But you're right, yeah. historically – They've always been upwards of, you know, mid-20s in wins away from Madison Square Garden. So if that continues, they'll be in great shape. Interesting thing out west, DJ, as we talk today, four of the playoff teams last year are right now on the outside looking in. Chicago, Minnesota, Anaheim, and Edmonton. Uh, Anaheim has the excuse of injuries, and I think if they get healthy, they'll be okay. But I think there has to be legitimate concern about Edmonton, right? Yeah, I have I have legitimate concern about them because uh, I just I you know I watched them play a couple of weeks ago when they were in the East and when they played New Jersey and I got to see them up close and I you know I think we talked about this I just don't like the mix of their group I think they're too big and slow on the wing they're a little bit top heavy with with when when they have to play McDavid and Drysdale together they've done they've gotten away from that a little bit of late they uh, their defense is uh, I would say is, is a shaky kind of group they miss uh, Andre Shakira but. You know he's never been never been confused with Bobby Orr. So I mean, you know he is not uh, he's just a good, a good helpful player. But and getting him back at some point will help them. And they've leaned a lot on uh, you know on the goaltending there, where you know uh, Cam Fowler has played. Oh, excuse me, uh, Cam Talbot has played a lot over the last couple of years for them. So they're in a tough yeah. spot again. Going back to you know when you think about teams making the playoffs, Vegas has thrown a monkey wrench into this with their terrific play so far. So you wonder how things are going to continue to go with them. L.A. got off to a great start, has struggled lately, but they found a way to get a win the other night. Calgary has got a good group playing well. San Jose is usually in the mix of things. Vancouver has been a real surprise team. So I, you know, And Anaheim's had the injury. So when you look in that division – Two things have happened that we didn't expect. Vancouver's played way better than we thought, and Vegas has been a big-time team in that division so far. So if that continues, that's just going to make it even more difficult for the Oilers. Now, all that said, the Oilers' schedule has been tough in the first part of the season. It will ease out a little bit, and there will be opportunities for them maybe to put a run together. But they're going to have to get going soon um, because, again, in that division, if things continue as they are, uh, it's going to be a struggle for them. Yeah. And what's also what's thrown a monkey wrench in is I think everybody believed Vancouver was going to be an also ran, and yeah, they're not. I got a chance to see him live for the first time, and and I think the reason why is that there was so much unknown. You know, who knew that Brock Besser would have the kind of year? I mean, realize he's played 30 games in his NHL career and has 27 points. Vertanen, who had a goal last night, has been a contributor to them. So they're young. It's starting to transition away from the Sedins to a younger brand of hockey, if their goaltending can hold up, and that I'm not really 100% sure about, 
But yeah. overall, that's a that's a nice team that Green has in Vancouver, and, and, and maybe they can sustain this. So if you've got Vancouver and Vegas that you thought would be at the bottom of the conference now as playoff teams, that means somebody we had pigeonholed into a playoff spot is going to be on the outside looking in. Yeah, exactly. And it'll be interesting for George McPhee, too, because if the Vegas Golden Knights continue to play well, um, what does he do as we get to the trade deadline? I mentioned earlier, like someone like Cody Eakin, he would, might be a real interesting guy for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But if you're the Vegas Golden Knights, and if you're Bill Foley, the owner of the team, more importantly, and you're looking at a team that's rolling at home and has a chance to be in the playoffs, it's going to be really hard for you to have that conversation you know, with your general manager. And, and the manager's telling you, Mill, maybe we got to think about the big picture still. And Foley's thinking about, hey, let's make the playoffs. So, um, so a lot will – over the next two months, obviously things will shake up. But we'll see if Vegas can continue to play at this high level. And we'll see if the Vancouver Canucks can continue to be a factor. And, you know, getting again back to Vancouver, I think uh, Travis Green has come in and done a fantastic job for a first-year head coach in the National Hockey League. And you know what? I'm I'm like you. I wonder if the goaltending can hold up. Markstrom gave up a bad one against the Rangers that was costly in that game. But Anders Nielsen has, uh, going way back, he was an Islanders pick. He is the last couple of years. He played well in Buffalo last year in a limited role, and he's playing well in a limited role so far in Vancouver. And I just wonder if he hasn't earned himself more playing time. I mean, he's got a 934 yeah. save percentage in seven games. He's won five of those games. Maybe we see a little bit more of him. But uh, the Canucks right now are an interesting team, and they've been good on the road too, which makes it uh, you know even more interesting uh, to see if they're going to be able to hang in there. Yeah, eight, four, and one so far away from home. Still two more games on this six game Eastern swing. They've got the Islanders and the Predators. So they'll get to go to Nashville and then head back home uh, to Vancouver. You ready for some tweets? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Andrew says, uh, will the return and, uh, uh, will the return of and assuming stellar play from Price be enough to salvage Montreal's season or will the Habs look to blow it up and rebuild? Is this from your wife? I know she's a Canadian. So. <laughs> no, no, no. Although she I is legitimately concerned. Yeah. Well, listen, I would just say this again. It goes back to what I talked about at the start when we're talking about playoff teams and American Thanksgiving. I mean, they're in the Atlantic Division. And Tampa Bay and Toronto are likely going to be playoff teams. After that, if you tell me any of the next uh, six teams ends up in that third spot, you could make a case, even for Buffalo, who's really struggled uh, at the start of this season, just because I don't know if any of those teams has the capability to go on any kind of long runs. I think they're all going to be kind of bouncing around uh, within striking distance of one another. Detroit has gotten off to a a better-than-expected start this year. They're currently sitting in that spot. Boston's played two fewer games or a point back. Ottawa's played two fewer games. They're, They're three points back. I don't think there's a road through uh, the wild card for any of those teams in the Atlantic. But you know what? You never know. The Metropolitan teams are going to have to play each other a lot, and those are games that you know somebody's going to lose, and you lose points in those games. But I, I think for Montreal, if Carey Price comes back and finds his game, and he hasn't played great so far this year with the exception of a shutout against Buffalo the other night. I thought he played very well early in the season in a game against Florida and Montreal, but uh, it's been an unusual start for Carey Price. But if he comes in and gives them that rock-solid goaltending, uh, I think they've got a puncher's chance to get the third spot in the Atlantic. But I don't like their team. Uh, I don't think it's built very well. And I think uh, Mark Bergevin, I think he knows it. I don't think there's a lot you can do about these things sometimes. uh, But 
I just don't like their their group as they're constructed, and I think just it's their fortunate to be in the Atlantic Division. If they were in the Metro, they'd be dead last. Yeah, they would be dead, no question about it. I know the answer and what you're going to say, EJ, but I'm going to ask it okay. anyway. Uh, okay. Pablo asks, would you trade Petrangelo for a 50- or 60-point winger? No. I mean, yeah. you know, I love – and that's Alex <laughs> Petrangelo we're talking about with St. Yes. Louis, so I'm going to assume. So uh, this, you know, I love the fans, as you know. We were at the yes. store together. We see the fans. We love talking to the fans. But this is where they lose me. Is And this is where, you know, I try to and you try to, we, we try to, you know, inform. You have a player like Alex Petrangelo. He may win the Norris Trophy this year. He has been playing that well on defense for the St. Louis Blues. He is a top pair defenseman. And I think he's playing better this year than he's ever played. So, like, in the past, he's been somewhat of a little bit less than I, you know, I have a high bar for players like that. But you can't find those guys. And, in fact, in Alex Petrangelo, was he the fourth overall pick in his year, third overall pick? I mean, he's a high draft. Yeah. You just can't find them. You can't trade those guys away for wingers, certainly, no matter how good the wingers are. I don't care how good they are. You need to, If you're going to trade them, you need to trade those guys for really high-end centers. Like I thought we saw a deal like that a couple of years ago when Seth Jones and Ryan Johansson got traded for one another. That was one of those deals that both teams were looking to, to plug different holes and. Uh, you know, we saw it. But uh, you know, think about how high the price is for a defenseman. The Devils traded Larson, who was a good defenseman, not nearly in the range of Petrangelo, who's more to me a three, two, three, four mm. type defenseman. Nothing but also a fourth overall pick. Yeah, high pick. But again, just to me, he's that kind of guy. He's just, you know, maybe a, you know, if he plays with a good a good left shot guy he can be a first pair guy, but I think I see him more as a second pair guy. You had to trade Taylor Hall to get him, yeah. right? So I mean, Taylor Hall is a pretty darn good winger, and so that's what you know. What I'm saying is that is you just don't see that very often, and it's, it, it, smart GMs aren't going to make that kind of trade. So you have high end defensemen, you always keep them unless you can trade them for high end centers. If you need, if you have a need in that spot. I mean, I thought what Nashville has been able to do because they've had a real depth of defense within their group. They were able to trade a really promising young defenseman at Samuel Gerrard as part of a three-way trade to add a Kyle Turris to their mix. So it's hard to do it. If you draft and develop defensemen well, you're in a position of strength, but you just don't trade them, especially in my mind, for wingers, no matter how good the winger is. Mm -hmm. Kevin asks, would Buffalo be a top team with better goaltending like Dubnik or Mike Smith, or is there more problems with this team besides goaltending? There's more problems than than just the goaltending. I think the goaltending is an issue. Uh, I don't know how, you know, talking to people there, I don't know how well-liked Robin Leonard is among the group. Not to say that that always matters. I'm sure there's days that, uh, you know, guys on different teams don't like the goalies that play that they play in front of all the time. I just, I, you know, Robin Leonard is kind of one of these guys in and out. What I was told a couple of years back, came into camp very over the weight that he needed to be at. Since kind of, you know, moved that down uh, a level. Tim Murray went out and got him. Tim helped draft him in Ottawa. Tim liked him. Tim is no longer in Buffalo. So I, I don't know how that's going to unfold for Robin Leonard and Buffalo. I think down the road they probably need an upgrade at that position. Um, but I think, you know, it's unfair to just lay it all on him. I think that they're, uh, they, their group of defensemen, they're missing Ristolainen has been out with injury, and uh, their group, even with him, is not great. So I think there's more problems in Buffalo than just that. All right. The big Calzone asks a question. What Calzone. goalie had, had has the best mask? Mine are oh. Brodeur. 
Beezer, Hank, Wah. Um, so who would you say had the best mask, either best growing mask. up or right now? Well, I mean, I think that for me, because I'm 100 years old, as you know, the uh, Gilles Gratton mask that he had yes. at the Rangers when I was a kid was, like, ridiculous. That was the first one that was, uh, you know, something startling or, or a real artistic work on a mask aside from just lines or maybe a logo of a team. But that was, uh, that was uh, for fans who don't know you, I guess you can go Google it. Jill Gratton, he had like a lion's face on the mask. And yes. he apparently was kind of a character oh uh, both on and off the ice. There were several stories that uh, circulated around Jill Gratton when he played for the Rangers and they played bounce around the league a little bit. But that's the one that – that comes to mind right away. You know, going back to when I was, you know, younger also, I, I like Jimmy Rutherford had the red wing logo over the eyes. That was kind of neat for the time. Remember, they were in the flat mask then, so you could really have much more of a of a paint job. The Jerry Cheever's mask with all the yeah. stitch, stitch marks was interesting in the time. Uh, since then, there's I mean, in current, you know, in the league and over the last 15 years when they've gone to that kind of hybrid of the cage and the flat mask, uh, there's been a lot of great, math and a lot of great designs and and guys are really creative and the guys who do that do a great job so there's a number of them but the one that comes to mind right away for me is the Gilles Gratton it always will just because it was the first one that was so dramatic and just off the top of my head because he played the game last night is is Jacob Markstrom's mask with Vancouver where he has the old-time paint job uh, where yes. it makes it look like the old mask, and then you see the ears <laughs> on the yeah. side of the mask, which is kind of yeah. funny. So That's there's been a lot of good ones player. over the years yeah. for sure. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But those are the questions that we try to get, the hard-hitting stuff, EJ. The hard-hitting questions. Is well, what we're looking fans, for. You know what, but fans have a wide variety of interests, and, you know, I've got to go back. I don't want to pick on the fan who asked about the defenseman. But I'm just, we you know, listen, this is – you know, for fans that are listening, these are the things that the GMs, uh, you know, when you're building teams, look at the teams that win. And you always have to have that high-end defenseman leading your group, you know, whether it be a Drew Doughty on a T- L.A. team that won two cups or a Duncan Keith on a, on, a, uh, on a Chicago team that won three cups. I mean, Pittsburgh was kind of an anomaly last year because uh, Chris Letang was out. But that's a unique situation because they had such a strength down the middle of their team when you think of – Crosby, Malkin, Benino, Cullen, and they had a group of uh, defensemen that was kind of by committee. But usually you have to have that high-end guy at the start. That's why you just don't trade them. EJ, it's always a pleasure. Every Monday you join us. And, no other so, I mean, I, I can go on if you want, but I, I, I don't want to. Let's go one more. Let's go one All more. Right. Why not? Well, well, this is a combination, I guess you could say, because Nicholas wanted to know from me, who was the biggest surprise in the Red Wing game for the Detroit Red Wings against the Rangers? I had a chance to call that game, and and you've watched a lot of the Red Wings too. Uh, Mantha's kind of slowed down a little bit. Actually got called out by his coach because uh, yeah. he hadn't scored in a while. But the guy that I think has really matured into a star player has been a Tennessee I mean, yeah. for somebody who doesn't get to see him day in and day out, and I called a few Red Wing games when he first got called up, and I know he's had some contract issues, but – Calling that game, you know how good Larkin is and Zetterberg and some of the old school guys, but the Tennessee was the one guy that really popped for me. Well, he can fly, right? So that's the thing. I mean, this is a fast league now, and I remember seeing him playing for Team Canada at the uh, Ivan Holinka tournament in 2012, somewhere in there, 2011. When, you know, but uh, and that's a tournament that's held for. Uh, uh, I guess it's 18-year-olds 
in August, uh, usually in the calendar year in early August over in the Czech Republic. And it's, you know, Canada usually puts a very good team in that tournament. And he was, uh, they won the gold medal in that tournament. And he was a, kind of an eye-opening player with his speed. And it's taken him some time to, to kind of develop uh, to make it in the National Hockey League. And you're right, I thought, uh, you know, I thought he got some bad advice personally, contract-wise, at the start of the season. He missed some time. He eventually ends up coming in and signing. and uh, But he can fly. And this is a game where you're always trying to push the pace now and push defenders back. Defenders have to be aware when this guy is on the ice because he can just go right by you and make you look bad. So he's definitely uh, someone that you notice when you watch the Red Wings. And you're right about Matt. He's played well this year. Dylan Larkin is having a good third season. Uh, after a great rookie year and then a subpar second year. So, you know, the Red Wings right now, they're riding, to me, they're riding the back of Jimmy Howard a lot. He's played very, very well for them. They still have some challenges on defense. Um, but, uh, you know, hey, they're in the right division, and they could be a team. They could sneak back into the playoffs this year after, you know, having that long streak broken last year. We'll see. I mean, again, the defense to me is, is you wonder about. And, you know, Mike Green is at the end of his contract, and, you know, he's played well offensively for them. He's had 17 points, and that's somebody that might be of interest at the trade deadline. So a lot will depend upon where the Red Wings are at that point in time. But I would think that uh, Kenny Holland will be listening to offers on Mike Green, among others. Do we get an update on the daily injury? He was forced to leave the game on Friday. It looked like a shoulder or some sort of an arm injury. I don't know if you ever saw an update on yeah, that. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen any update on that. And, uh, you know, that's an important player for them. They went out and got him as a free agent. He just brings some veteran stability to their group. He still mm-hmm. skates well enough. Obviously, part of two Stanley Cup winners with the Pittsburgh Penguins. But that's the area where the Detroit Red Wings are struggling. And it goes back to that question again about defense. Yeah. Right? You need – when the Detroit Red Wings were rolling all those years, they rolled over a lot of forwards in the years when you think about it. They had the era of Shanahan and Eiserman and, and Fedorov. Then they had the later era of Dotsuk and, and Zetterberg. But who was the constant in all that? Nick Lindstrom. Because yeah. he set everything in place. And then, of course, they had other great defensemen around him. In the early years, you had Larry Murphy. In later years, you had – Brian Rafalski, I mean, they put some really good defensemen around him. But, uh, boy, he was the cornerstone of an organization for nearly a quarter of a century. And so, you know, hard to replace, impossible to replace those type of guys. And right now, Kenny Holland is looking to kind of rebuild that team, and he needs to rebuild the defense. All right, one more, okay, for you. All right, let's go. Let's go. James says, hey, guys, are the Islanders starting to be a serious threat in the Metropolitan Division? He also says that goal that Brian Boyle scored brought tears to his eyes. Thoughts on his recovery? Well, first of all, it's been great to see him be able to perform for a Devil team that's been a huge surprise. So, you know, we both have loved Brian Boyle, and we wish him nothing great but guy. Uh, yeah. success and, and, and thoughts and prayers with his recovery. But, you know, we got to pay attention to the Islanders. Barzell's having a Calder-type year. This is going to be a great year for Rookie of the Year, right? I mean, there's so oh, yeah. many great candidates. But, you know, the Islanders are starting to put it together. Yeah, you know what the honors to me they've got uh, they got something that is uh, really tough to deal with. They got two really talented offensive lines now, so you want to try to deal with Lee and Bailey and Tavares. Okay, then you got you can stop them, but then Barzell and Everly and Ladder beat you, and then they still got Brock Nelson out there as a dangerous player, and then they got good fourth line players in Zizekas and Clutterbuck. I mean, they've got they've had this for a while, but it just seems like. Uh, the emergence of Barzal has given them uh, really a dangerous second line right now. And, you know, let's give some credit to Nick Letty, second in scoring among all defensemen in this league. Uh, got 20 points. He's been uh, a real good player for them. That was a great pickup by Garth Snow several years back now. And, you know, the question for me with the Islanders is the goaltending going to be good enough? I'm not really uh, – 
a, a big fan of Grice or Halak as long-term answers there. Their save percentage are hovering around 900. They've had games where they've been really good. Halak was good in the game against Ottawa the other night, and it's been a real struggle for him of late. And, you know, Grice has had a good run of games. So, I mean, you know, is that goaltending and is that back end of that defense going to hold up? But they can score goals. And they are a tough matchup for teams, uh, you know, night in and night out. Because you got to, you got to, obviously, you got to, you got to check Tavares, Bailey, and Lee, and they score no matter who they play against. And now, you know, if you're not careful, uh, you know, Barzell, Everly, and Lad will kill you. And those fourth line guys can provide uh, big minutes and score some goals as well. So, you know, the Islanders, I thought this would be a, you know, a team that would be better this year. And they've gotten off to a good start. And I think Doug Waite's got a real, and that whole coaching staff, they got a number of guys in that within that group. That do a great job, so uh, I'm not all that surprised. The Islanders are, uh, you know, they're a, they're a team, uh, especially at home. They're un, un, almost unbeaten at home, seven zero and two. So they're dangerous at this point. And if they can continue to, to crank out the goals, and if the goaltenders hold up, they're going to be in the playoffs. Well, buddy, great job as usual. Enjoy the show today, and we Thank will talk you. to you on Monday. All right, I will be here. You have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you then. All right. Well, I see you at the Garden at all, either on Tuesday or Friday. Uh, you won't Tuesday because uh, we got. To, I'll be in Philly for the show for the Sharks and Flyers. Uh, Friday, I guess TBD. We'll see how the rest all of the right. week shakes out. I know my my uh, my son's Bantam team, our Bantam minor team, has got big games this weekend, big time games against Ramapo and Union on Saturday and Sunday. So. Uh, the Brick Hockey Club will be ready to go. That's all I can tell you. Well, tell your son that if he starts to play better and the team starts to win, we will do a segment on game misconduct. <laughs> okay, I'll let them know. <laughs> all right. Maybe all that, right, that'll, that'll yeah, motivate him. Thanks a lot, man. You know what? They've, been, they've been good. They've been like a 500 group, so we'll see. we got to get them better in the second half of the season. All right, you got it, man. Take care. All right. All right, see you, Donnie. All right, that's the great E.J. Raddick joins us every Monday here on Game Misconduct. You can see him on the NHL Network, NHL Now, 4 to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Got a couple more tweets, and then I want to give you the schedule. Uh, Frank uh, Barker says, can we go ahead and talk about how awful the first rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs are? Go back to one eight two seven three six four five, please. What do you think? I'm with you. I don't like this whole wild card thing, top three teams in the division. I honestly, what I'd love to see, Frank, I'd love the NBA and the NHL to do this, and the NHL did it a long time ago, and I know it's tough on travel and it might be unfair for certain teams, but I'd love a 1 through 16. I would love it. It would change up the first round. You get so many interesting matchups. I think it's great that you play like in your division, but the NHL wanting to go back to that one four two three format within the division, but you play so many games in the division, it would be good to get kind of different matchups and different rivalries. Um, it is a little frustrating, the new format. I'm kind of with you. If anything, I'd like to go back to the old way of doing things. you got two divisions now. Give the first two seeds to the two division winners. you got big divisions now, so whoever wins the division deserves it. You don't have that old southeast dilemma where a team that was 500 would get a top three seed because they won a division. you got the two divisions now. You know the two teams that win the division are among the best. Make them the two seeds. Everybody else files suit, and then you go from there. That's what I'd love to see. But unfortunately, I don't think the NHL has an appetite to really make any kind of um, strange changes. Um, let's see what other tweets that we have here. We've got tons of – got to really be honest with you guys are surprising me. I told you we got the download numbers, which have been really terrific. 
and the tweets. We're getting so many of them. So if we don't read your tweet, please do not be discouraged. I'll try to get back to you off the air. If you repeat it the next day, I'll try to get it in. But especially on Monday, because I get tweets all over the weekend, I want to try to get as many in as possible. Neil Delaney says, hi, Don. Hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. Hope you did, too. Three in a row for the Caps. Massive results. Need to push on from this. They have been far too inconsistent and are driving me crazy would love for you to get someone on the show the caps talk about the caps i promise that i will try to get somebody on it's been hectic the schedules have been kind of crazy especially with thanksgiving coming i will get somebody on to talk about the caps i want to try to periodically get someone on to talk about a specific team i'm kind of hesitant on that until we get into the playoffs and the number of teams shorten because I want to try to service everybody here on this podcast. And if we spend like 10, 15 minutes on one specific team, other people get frustrated. But there are enough Cap fans out there, I think, that they're really curious about this team. And they have kind of turned it around. So we'll see uh, if that can continue after a three-game winning streak. And Ovechkin has been really unconscious for them. So you got, you know, uh, the, the Devils are a point ahead of Columbus. Columbus is a point ahead of the Islanders. The Islanders are a point ahead of the Capitals. The Capitals are a point ahead of the Rangers. And the Rangers are a point ahead of Pittsburgh. I mean, so that's how close everything is. The difference is Pittsburgh's played 25 games. Washington's played 25 games. But you've got teams like the Islanders with just 23. The Devils with just 23. Columbus with just 23. It will begin to loosen up. Uh, I would think the Devils would have to take a step back just because they're so young. I mean, they're relying so much on kids. Can that continue? Uh, they're going to play without Palmieri now for the next month of the season. i got to figure Pittsburgh's going to be better. Carolina's going to start to catch up here because they've only played uh, 22 games. It will loosen up, but I don't think it's ever going to completely get where it's not going to have just up for grabs and you can't afford to miss points. I mean, every time a Metropolitan Division team plays and they leave points or a point on the table, it can come back to home. Even to the extent we were talking about it on the Ranger-Vancouver game last night, that you know the Rangers winning that game in the shootout instead of winning in regulation or overtime may hurt them because it's about row wins, and that's a, that's a stat that may come up and bite somebody before the end of the season. Row wins, in case you're new to hockey or, or relatively new to hockey, regulation or overtime wins. There's more value to a win in the first 65 minutes than in the shootout. The NHL wanted to kind of punish teams that were getting the majority of their wins in the shootout. So what that means is that becomes a tiebreaker. So if two teams have the same amount of points – the team that got the majority or more of their points in regulation or overtime will get the tiebreaker. So if you have more wins in the shootout, that can end up hurting you in a tiebreaker situation. And with this Metropolitan Division being so tight, it's not that crazy to think that the team that gets all their points in the shootout might actually miss out on the playoffs or miss out on a better seed. So that's how tight it is where we're talking about, yeah, the Rangers got two points, but the fact that they had to do it in the shootout can come back to haunt them later on. That's how close things are. So we got five games tonight. Uh, Devils and the Panthers from the Rock. Penguins and the Flyers. That's in Pittsburgh. That's a huge game for Philadelphia trying to get back on track. Uh, interesting game in Montreal. Blue Jackets and Canadians. Kerry Price came back from his injury, pitched a shutout. He needed a reverse on a goaltender interference in like the last 30 seconds of the game to be able to maintain the shutout. But maybe Price can kind of save Montreal's season here. And the Blue Jackets have been very, very good. 
good despite their lack of scoring prowess. 8 o'clock tonight, Wild and the Jets. Winnipeg starting to slow down just a little bit. Wild, despite the fact that they played better, still on the outside looking in for the playoffs. So that's a huge divisional matchup there. And at 8.30, the Ducks and the Blackhawks from Chicago as the Ducks try to get healthy. And the Blackhawks kind of waddling around, too. As we mentioned, four of the eight teams that made the playoffs last year, four of those teams are now on the outside looking in. Ducks and the Blackhawks, two of those four teams. Um, the Wild and the Edmonton Oilers, the other two. So the Ducks and the Blackhawks playing each other tonight. So that should be a lot of fun. We had a long game misconduct. We had so much to go over. If we didn't get to your tweet or if you got something you want to ask me, at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. We'll get to a bunch of them tomorrow. We'll recap these five games. We'll preview the games coming up on Tuesday. We've got a ton of games on Tuesday as well. Hopefully everybody had a phenomenal Thanksgiving. Hopefully everybody had a great weekend as well. We'll be back with you again tomorrow. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. Thanks for listening to the Game Misconduct Podcast. Looking for more Don LaGreca? Hear him on the Michael K. Show weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. on 98.7 ESPN in New York and worldwide on the ESPN app. And don't forget to subscribe to the Game Misconduct Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.